Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for joining us. This thing is brought to you by the C5 plus CCIM Global Summit. Uh, this is three days of commercial real estate networking, learning, and investing, and it's uh, it's incredible. It's going to be in Atlanta, September 28th to September 30th. This is a annual global event, and you know if you know about CCIM, you know it's going to be big time. For more information. Here is the website. It's c5summit.realestate. That's c5summit.realestate. Uh, I'm headquartered here in Atlanta. Maybe you can say hello when you're here. Well, welcome to our show today. We've got an interesting one. Talk about the, kind of the mid-year outlook. Where are we today? And a lot of people are asking questions today about commercial real estate. You know, where are we? What's going on? We have pricing discovery. We got interest rates rising. We got an economy that's changing. Uh, yeah, well, we got an election coming up. What is happening in commercial real estate? Where are we? Well, please welcome my guest. It's Tom LaSalvia. He's head of CRE Economics at Moody's Analytics. Tom, good to see you, buddy. Michael, always a pleasure joining you. Yes, lots and lots to discuss. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy market. And let, let's start a little bit with the uh, elephant in the room, <laughs> financing interest rates. How the Fed is really raised interest rates, what, 500 basis points in the last 15 months or something. It's really, uh, it's really changed uh, market valuations on, on almost every sector, some to more extent than others. Uh, but, uh, and then we, we had Jerome Powell come out that last week and suggest that he's not through uh, fighting inflation, uh, that they do, sim uh, they do, I guess, expect to, to raise the Fed's rate more but it, but is the outlook that it's going to be more subdued and 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 slower? What do you expect moving forward? Yeah, inflation still a bit stubborn. Powell does not agree with many that we are sufficiently headed to two percent, which of course is their target, along with having uh, full employment. And with that, you know, we're sitting around the 4 or 5% mark, depending on what data point you're actually looking at. We're pausing right now, as you saw a couple of weeks back from the latest decision. But he comes out and says the terminal Fed's fund rate is likely about 5.6% which is another 50 basis points above our current 5.1%. And so that pretty much means two more to go. If you believe that he is sticking to that terminal rate. Now there's a lot of discussion in how Powell and the Fed may just be coming out with a, a tough talk track. So that way to avoid the issues of what's considered unanchored inflation expectations, right? They want the public to realize and be confident that inflation is going to come back down. So they talk tough about it, that they're not going to stop. But in all honesty, the economy's a bit on a knife edge. 
And if it starts to tip and employment really starts to suffer, I don't think they'll go up anymore, right? And so that's really what we're looking for is, again, they have that dual mandate and I have a feeling they'll be done if the employment data starts to weaken. As of right now, it's not though. So another 25 basis points uh, within a couple of months is not out of the question. It's going to be tight. And that's part of the reason the Fed paused for this past meeting is they cite the uncertainty surrounding how tight credit will get because of the banking issues from a couple of months ago. There's still some lingering issues in there with the fundamentals. Uh, and one of the biggest problems is that some of the smaller and mid-sized institutions they're really having to compete for a, a deposit base, right? So a lot of depositors have already um, moved money over to larger banks or other assets and outside of some of those smaller banks. And while that has slowed considerably over the last month or so, uh, it's still a concern and it is still a risk where that, you know, we're going to use air quotes, that run because run means something different now than it did uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, right? Uh, it means that within hours, you could pull millions and billions of dollars out of a particular institution. So there's a still a little bit of concern there. There's still some deposit side issues. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, well, CRE is a little bit of a, a weak point right now. This is not the resi market of 2007, but it is a situation where there is additional risk, there's rising delinquencies, and that right there is going to cause uh, the banks to hold a little more reserve. It's going to cause them to be more reluctant to go out there and, and put money out towards new transactions um, or new development. Now, with that said, what we just saw a few days back is permits and housing starts for single and multifamily increase considerably. And a lot of those projects, of course, have to be financed with bank money or other lender money. And what's interesting about the current situation, what that maybe indicates is the realization or the acceptance that the era of super cheap money is gone, right? And that we're getting to used to this new norm a little bit. And there's a belief that at least from the housing perspective, households will be able to purchase or lease up those new developments within the next year to two years as those completions come online, right? And so there is some confidence brewing there, at least from the, the housing market, the multifamily market, and of course, uh, single family, which, which I think, again, is interesting if it really does 
mean there's an acceptance that higher for longer, that mantra for in terms of rates is here to stay. Well, that's a, that's a good point and, and interesting to see because, you know, when I look at uh, uh, current interest rates that we get for financing commercial properties or homes, um, and I think about, you know, my career, you know, I'm, I'm one of the old guys in the room and it seems like these are still really good rates. And, you know, uh, and to your point, we're seeing some of that with sellers. We saw a lot of pause in, in our commercial real estate brokerage world in the Southeast. We have got about 50 brokers selling properties and we saw a really drop in transaction volume. It's still uh, low compared to, you know, the last couple of years, but we are seeing more people uh, kind of accepting, all right, well, we've got back to more normal rates. It does impact values. We are seeing enough deal flow uh, to have some uh, pricing uh, confidence, right? To see where things are. And then if you think that Jerome Powell is go actually going to raise rates more, well, maybe you want to sell and finance a deal now. I'm wondering if that's some of it. And and what do you expect for transaction volume moving forward here as we are at mid-year 2023? Yeah, you're you're 100% correct. Mm -hmm. I've heard the same thing um, from boots on the ground. In terms of sellers finally uh, coming to the table with a bit more inventory, it's not a lot, but there is a little bit more out there. And Again, that acceptance of, all right, well, I'm hearing from more and more economists that the probability of a recession is declining. And while Paolo, pa Powell does say 25 to 50 more basis points is likely, it's not guaranteed, but what it says is higher for longer, right? I'm going to keep going back to that mantra. I think there is something to that because I think the recession potential down means that it's unlikely for the fed to pivot meaning to bring rates back down if anything they're going to stay where they are and if they are then those sellers have to recognize that there is going to be a mathematical haircut on their properties right let alone some of the changes with office and some of the other evolutions of the other commercial real estate sectors there is a bit of a mathematical uh, alteration in, in prices. But the one thing I do want to say here, which I find interesting, and I feel like maybe I'm jumping the gun. Um, I, by the way, I do think transaction volume will pick up a little bit in the second half of the year. I mean, it's, it's more or less on the floor now, so it needs to pick up. But what I do want to say here is there's still a good amount of equity, even if you have to take a 10% haircut or whatever it might be, there's still a good amount of equity if you've owned that property for a bit, right? There's some substantial gains that have happened over the last decade or so. And, you know, sellers accepting the higher rates brings them to the table. They still will be able to make uh, some profit ultimately off of this transaction. And it might move the market a little. Again, the other thing that might happen, though, is if the belief that this downturn is relatively short-lived, and for most property types, income is still flowing into those properties, uh, there is a good chance that some sellers will just say, I'm going to keep holding. I'm going to let the market work itself out over a couple of years. So in some, though, higher transaction activity, 
as sellers do make it to the table, there is plenty of capital out there. So I'm not really worried so much on the buy side. Let's talk about some of the uh, sectors and, and in brevity kind of overview of where you, where you think we are and, and the impact there and expectations moving forward. And let's start with the, the darling sectors first, I guess, uh, industrial. Uh, how's it going? What do you expect? It's a deceleration, but it's a deceleration from pretty incredible heights. And we're seeing a little bit of that supply growth uh, catch up to the sector. Now, this is not, we're not expecting the major cyclicality that you sometimes do see in industrial uh, because of how quickly construction can happen for a lot of these properties. Uh, A bit of a silver lining on the Uh, supply chain issues from the last few years is that some of that inventory never made it to market because what used to take six months took 18 or 24 months to actually get a project complete. And so the pipeline's pretty robust still, uh, but we believe that the tailwinds from e-commerce, while manufacturing struggling a bit now, there's still this element of reshoring that I think will help out Uh, over time. And then just the changes to the logistics network within the country in recognition of some of the supply chain issues, in recognition of some of the population changes and migration, that itself is going to keep a lot of activity within uh, the industrial sector. So still expecting above average rent growth and Vacancy rates are incredibly low, historically low, but they might even go a tick lower. Interesting. A couple other darling sectors, I think, have been you know, multifamily and retail. Uh, let's talk about retail first because uh, retail was supposed to really die because uh, brick and mortar retail anyway, die because of the online sales and industrial benefiting from it. And then COVID hit, it was supposed to die, but it's, it's done pretty well. What do you see today and what do you expect? I I do not think I've heard the two words, darling and retail, in the same sentence <laughs> in decades. You've so, heard Michael, it here. I, I appreciate that. I really, really do. <laughs> uh, it's There are assets that are doing quite well, even some malls, right? I mean, obviously, we just heard about the San Francisco-Westfield Mall situation and how the mayor has come out and said maybe we should you know, bulldoze it and do different things. So there's a, there's a lot of issues out there, but there are malls that are thriving right now, foot traffic way, way up, higher than 2019 levels. And there are a few new developments, not a lot, but there are a few. And the new developments are really intriguing to me because many of them are within more mixed use types of developments where there's an element of of residential, an element of office, some medical office, uh, experiential retail, along with traditional uh, retail goods uh, type of retail. So I'm intrigued by that setting more than any other because I do believe fundamentally in the value of, well, a critical mass. And when you combine where people live with where they shop, even if they are somewhat inclined to shop more online, if 
there is a store literally a five minute walk from them. Some of those people might actually get off their butts and go walk to that <laughs> store and buy whatever it is because they can have it before they would get it online, right? So there is, I think, some real potential here for some interesting development and interesting investment going forward uh, within the retail space. What do you see for openings versus closings of new stores? Yeah, we're actually seeing over the last uh, year to 18 months, we're seeing more openings than closings. We keep seeing some of these online-only types of retailers, the Warby Parkers of the world, keep opening. I was just in Grand Central, and I saw the new Warby Parker there, right? And so, you know, again, omnichannel is the right word when it comes to retail, which means brick and mortar has a long, long, long way to go before it dies. And if anything, retail is a story of evolution. Retail will never die. It'll just keep changing. And, you know, for the investors out there, for the brokers out there, for that community, it's a matter of being ahead of, of some of those, those changes to assure that you're getting in um, earlier. You're getting in ahead of that curve a little bit. And I'm sure it's, you know, changes market to market, obviously, but, uh, you know, we sell retail investment properties in the Southeast and it's, it's all been going extremely well. And then we represent some retail tenants and restaurants in Metro Atlanta. And to your point, they're going in the mixed use developments, right? And 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 they're not low rent at all. They're very high rent, but uh, you know that that's where they where they want to be, right? That's 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 where the traffic is. Well, let's let's jump to um, um, multifamily. You know, what do you expect there? Yeah, so multifamily, darling, long term, we need shelter. That's not going away. All kinds of estimates of how many housing units were down. I've seen estimates of low of a million up to six million. So there's there's plenty of room for development to happen uh, within multifamily. Now, with that said, there's a good amount in the pipeline, as we were talking about earlier. And the timing might not be great for lease-up activity this year. Right. And so this is where we have to be a bit concerned if we're getting record completions this year. And we've seen a little bit less activity from households. Uh, household consumers, they're still spending, but you could tell that there's a bit of a pullback happening. We saw rent declines in the first quarter at the national level, not every market, but um, certainly over half of them. And Q2 looks a little better, right? It's getting to the spring, summer season. So typically that is when more leasing activity comes up. But if we enter the fall towards the winter and a lot of those deliveries make it to market then, it is likely that during that lease up period, there's gonna be a few more concessions out there. Now, good for some tenants, good for some of those that are trying to move up to a new building. But for some of those owners, developers, this could be a bit of a trying year as you're, as you're attempting to get butts in the seats, right? As you're attempting to actually lease up that new property. Yeah. Long term, though, still a darling. Still need tons of housing in this country. Obviously, we need it where the people are. So you've got to develop in those areas. And regulation matters. Price of land matters. All right, so I think uh, labor matters quite a bit. 
but the math is still going to be there for most locations to uh, to make multifamily work. And um, here's a here's a social plea. And I know the math's a little trickier here, but if we could start seeing more Class B C uh, housing, uh, we need that. The current uh, vacancy rate for BC is about 3%, if not lower, in a lot of markets, whereas in A, it's around 6 or so. And we, we keep building a lot of A. We need a little bit more modest. Again, I know the uh, the math isn't as great there, but um, it's, it's certainly necessary to assure that we do get a lot of those that that need housing within particular neighborhoods because they work there to, to live at least relatively close. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess a slowdown to a more of a normal, uh, rent, rent escalation range and multifamily helps with inflation too. Right. I mean, that's yes. Yeah, very much. Actually, Michael, I'm glad you brought that up and sorry to cut you off there. You know, but, you know when we, when we look at <laughs> inflation rates, there's typically a six to nine month lag or, or so, depending on the study you look at, between when the spot price of multifamily rents occur, right? Spot price now. And ultimately, when it works its way into the CPI shelter inflation component. So those declines that we saw in Q1, they'll start to inter- enter in better to the shelter component of the CPI. So that headline number that you're looking at right now that gets that's you know get talked about in the media every month that actually while it's somewhere between four and five percent uh depending on exactly what you're looking at it's probably closer to being between three and three and a half percent when you uh when you put uh, when you account for what the actual spot price of of rent is can you tell Jerome Powell that I, I do think he knows, Michael. I, I, I am not an apologist. I know there's been a few mistakes making, yeah. uh, made in, in 2021 and so on, but I actually do think he knows that. And again, I am not 100% sold that they're going to raise rates. I have a feeling that, that they're done or maybe one more 25. Yeah. Well, I know when we're, we're tweaking performance on things in our business or, or tweaking, I'm a, I drive a performance boat and when we tweak little things and to get more performance. We tweak one thing and then let that happen and see what happens, right? You know, let, do it a little slower. Well, well, let's talk about the office market because that's the one that's probably most in question uh, by everybody, you know, and, and one of the things that people thought that would happen sooner is, is companies, you know, asking people or requiring folks to, to come back. What, what are you seeing today? Here we are, it's mid-year. We're seeing it more now than previously, but as you know, I think we had the same conversation probably a year ago. And the argument I made then, which I'm holding to now, is the longer that it lasted where workers, the employees were emboldened to say, nah, I don't want to come back. And the the longer that got pushed forward, the more entrenched that remote work gets. With that said, I'm seeing more and more subtle indications that the employers feel there is lost productivity, lost innovation, lost team building, and the attrition that kind comes with that. And by the way, attrition's incredibly expensive. Yeah. Any of us that have hired people will have had people quit and then have had to hire people and go through first getting that 
line, you know, approved and then getting the posting out there and then going through all the applications and it right is a huge, huge cost associated with attrition. And so if part of attrition is the lack of ability to mentor and team build, then you got to bring people back. And we are seeing more and more of that at least a few days a week. And so this, this story of remote work where I'm living in the mountain West, but I work in San Francisco or LA or New York, uh, it's not as it's not as sticky as uh, as some may have thought in the past. So we are definitely seeing a bit of a back to office movement, and we're seeing it in some of those statistics. Now, I'm not about to say that we're out of the woods by any stretch when it comes to office. There's a lot more stress to be had. There's a lot more bumpiness to be had, uh, but we we are seeing a bit of that uh, increase in physical occupancy when it comes to office. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of our listeners and viewers probably stay in tune to the cyber attacks, but, you know, the cyber attacks have really increased uh, recently. Um, and I think that and you know, trade secrets and just a lot of other reasons that uh, we want to get may want to get folks back to the benefits of, of working together. So what would be, and I know it's hard to, to look into the crystal ball here as far as, you know, office uh, use and, and office demand. What would you expect the time frame? It seems like I'm hearing from some people and they're saying, oh, it could be years and years and years before man gets back to what it was pre-COVID for office. And some people are saying, oh, now it'll be back by 2025. What do you say? Yeah, I guess I'll be the two-handed economist for a minute here. You know, on one hand, <laughs> if the economy does not go into recession, so if it holds up relatively well, even if the labor market softens a little bit, uh, but if it holds up relatively well and we get all of this momentum coming from Gen AI and from other technological innovations that many of them do actually require some presence in an office, then that 2025 number doesn't seem so bad because even if you are getting less days in the office, Typically, the days that people go, they're all the same, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you're going to have employment gains because of the momentum, the growth of some of these new industries, right? And that momentum gain should uh, help boost, well, some company profits, so they're not as worried about their real estate bottom line, but two, just the employee base. And if you have more, and they're all coming in at the same time, then it doesn't really matter if they're not coming in Mondays or Thursdays because you need more space in that circumstance. And so leasing could pick up in that respect. Now, on the other hand, of course, is, you know, a bit of a, a bumpy road ahead of us because there's will be some firms, businesses that are jiggling around with their exact approach to moving forward with how we work and how they want to adjust their, their budget, their cost structure as it relates to CRE. So, you know, we can't just wear rose-colored glasses and think by 2025 because of some of this growth that's happening in certain industries. There's still going to be employers that say, well, you know what? 
This is working okay. Let's keep going with it. Let's release some space when my you know lease is up. Uh, let's sublet some space. By the way, uh, sublease space is up at least 25% over the last couple of years. Um, there's probably a little more shadow sublease space out there than even in our calculations. But that still has to work itself out. And so in some, you know, Right now, if you're looking at our baseline forecast for office, current vacancy rate's about 19% at the national level. We have it going maybe a little bit higher, but not much, much higher than that. And so we do see kind of the the balance of those two things um, leading towards pretty flat occupancy rates and uh, a little bit of rent growth going forward. But of course, the caveat with any of these property types, particularly if you're talking retail or office, it's asset specific. But, uh, we can argue that there is not a uh, flight to quality, particularly in dense urban areas. Suburban, both BC and A are doing okay, but in dense urban areas, A is definitely holding up better than BC uh, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because you know, we have a very sophisticated uh, listener base here and everyone understands that uh, everything's asset specific. Uh, and, but especially when you get in a market uh, like office and you mentioned the cost of turnover and, and, uh, and the timing, you know, I think it seems to me that it could take companies a little while to kind of comprehend the real cost of, of the turnover, the increased turnover that they're, they're getting. And then they're, the ability to onboard and, and, and train these folks, you know, when they're not in, every, when everyone's not in every day. And, but I think, you know, similar opportunity, you know, in office, uh, we're certainly seeing an opportunity for users, uh, to get better space, uh, and maybe buy buildings, uh, for their own use, uh, while the, uh, price per square foot might be a lot lower for them. Uh, and also way better locations, right. That, you know, I think some of these businesses they want to own, but they really couldn't find the right locations that, but now they, they can, right? There's more opportunities. Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. And, and in all honesty, I think one of the interesting things we'll see coming out of this is the locations of where the major office using clusters in each Metro, whether it's more suburban or urban uh, might actually change over these next few years. And I think this is really interesting for all of us to watch and for those that are intimately involved to be aware of, right? So if the argument is we're seeing a bit more activity in dense urban areas for class A, or not a bit, quite a bit more, uh, for class A, for newer class A, then where those new developments are where the new population centers are within these cities. This is all starting to shift. And I think this this right there is one of the most intriguing things moving forward. So do your homework as you're looking, right, about where to locate, uh, because what was a great spot 10 years ago may not be a great spot anymore uh, tomorrow. And so just just be aware of that in your individual city. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to an investor a few minutes ago that buys pretty big properties around the country. And I was with one Friday night as well. And both of them mentioned that, you know what, Michael, we really like this market because we can get better properties as investors. We have less competition, right? When the, when there's less lenders involved and, and some buyers are pausing. So 
uh, it's a good opportunity for a lot of folks. And another opportunity, I think, uh, that's out there uh, is for lenders, um, private and banks and others, too. I think loans that you would do today might be some of the safest loans you've done in a long time. Uh, less competition, especially for office. Um, and, you know, rates that uh, are, are, you don't have to worry about refinancing, right, or maturity uh, defaults. Um, and talk about, you know, building relationships. Uh, you know, if you're, you're doing loans when, when people are saying no, uh, build some great relationships. Yeah, I would completely agree with everything that you said there, that <laughs> if you do your homework, uh, if you already have a good relationship, you make it better. You're trying to build a relationship with someone new that has some capital uh, that they're ready to deploy. And if you help them to move forward with a particular deal of uh, something that all of you believe in, there is fantastic long-term opportunity. There's definitely some haircuts out there for you to take advantage of. Yeah. And you know, my first show that I did on America's Most Real Estate Show was in October of 2010. And guess what our topic was? <laughs> Loan workout, right? Uh, and we haven't done a show since, uh, you know, since that, uh, the, the great recession, if you will, on the topic. And, and uh, we're starting to see some foreclosures. We just got our, uh, our first uh, office building foreclosure, uh, which is going to be a great opportunity for the investors. Uh, and, and, we're, and we're starting to see some of that happening. What do you expect for uh, the folks who like to buy notes or like to buy the opportunistic opportunities. What do you see the outlook for those folks? Yeah, there's, again, plenty of opportunity coming up, but I wouldn't put it at the level of some of the previous downturns. I think there's so much capital out there ready to be deployed that there is a bit of this uh, game of chicken that's going to go on of, oh, how long should we wait for that um that hair, or how far should we wait before we actually jump in and purchase that building on distressed capital? So I think because there will be a bit of competition out there, the floor may not be as low as you think. Now, with that said, we've seen headlines of properties in San Francisco and in elsewhere. They're having, you know, 80% value declines from recent appraisals. So there'll be some of those options out there, but those, of course, come with, with greater risk too. Yeah. Well, Tom, what would uh, you leave our audience with to think about commercial real estate here mid-year? It's, it's teetering a little bit. It wouldn't take a huge shock to send it over the edge. But right now, pretty confident that cash flow is going to hold up well, that transaction volume is going to start to pick up, price discovery is going to start to pick up a little bit. And the CRE industry is very resilient in this country. There is global capital that'll still be interested in it moving forward. There's a lot of domestic capital out there ready to be deployed. And there will be, again, office buildings in trouble. Overall, we do see about a 20, 25% decline in office values over the next year or so before it starts to recover. In terms of the other sectors, those declines will be much more muted based on the math that's out there. But long term, there is a strong belief in this industry. And in comparison to many other assets that are out there, uh, CRE 
tangible, income producing, uh, still quite strong. I'm, I'm not trying to be a cheerleader for the industry here. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. And uh, what we see at Moody's Analytics is that same thing. A bit of a bump over the next year or so as we transition. This is not a cliff. This is a transition to the new equilibrium going forward. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good point. And, you know, I've been in this business for a long time. And I, and I think most people think of commercial real estate as a fairly long-term hold, right? So uh, if you can get in and acquire properties at a lower basis, if it's a long-term hold, it could be a good time to be acquiring property. Tom, thanks. For great information. Uh, I, I love the, the slant and the look at it. Appreciate what you guys do. And thanks for being on the show. Great. Thank you. Well, that's Tom LaSilvia, head of Siri Economics with Moody's Analytics on our mid-year outlook and, and where we are. I hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, share the show. Reach out to us uh, if we can help you in any way. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.